everybody, welcome to Player 456, a Squid Game podcast. My name is Jack Shaw and joining me as always is my friend and fellow Squid Game fanatic, Colin McMillan. How are you? I am good and I am a Squid Game fanatic and I like being described as such. So yeah, very much um, I'm good. I'm looking forward to this chat because this final act of this episode, um, part three as we call it, um, has got a hell of a lot going on and a, a hell of a lot suggesting this is going to go on in the future off the back of this, so really exciting about this one. This last 15-20 minutes of this episode, Colin, raises so, so many questions and we do not have the answers for them, so we are going to be asking the same questions as a lot of you are probably throughout this. Back in the main room, Jihan sort of notices that there's something wrong with player one, realises that he's got a fever, he's lying there and he's not looking particularly well so they help him lie down and player 67 Shabok gives him a bottle of water to help lower the fever is this a real fever because we do know that he's not well is he unwell here he's not acting this is he I don't think he looked he looked as if he was having a fever he looked warm he looked sweaty he looked like he had a high temperature and as good as an actor I think he might be I don't think he's that good an actor, so no, I definitely do think he is unwell at this point. You see the immediate impact of getting the water has on him and it calms him right down and he's able to kind of lie back at that point. Jihan um, obviously puts him to sleep sort of thing and Sebiok takes over his watch duty. There's a moment here, again, where you see that she's still so cold, Jack, and so not really part of the crew yet. Um, he thanks her for the water, that's a good thing you did there. And she basically says, well, he's got to pay me back for that tomorrow. It's very much in line with her character so far. Yes, she doesn't. She's cold. She doesn't trust anybody, and we know why she doesn't because of her, her family and her background story. So yes, yeah, she's on point here, and is in a situation like that, how friendly can you be if you're getting one bottle of water a day? You can't be giving away half of that willy nilly, basically. So I can kind of get why she says this. Like you need to give it back. Yeah, no, I, I do get it, and I think it's you get to see that she is a good person in the fact that she gives it in the first place. If you think it Doc Sue or something, they just wouldn't give the water in the first place. So you see there's a potential in this girl here that she has, just, there's, there's something about her, but she's still very much, I'm on my own here, I need to survive, and I need the water, so you need to give me it back. And after, we sort of jump away from there now when we're back to the... In fact, what did you think about the way this was shot? I had a lot of people complain online about how dark it was. I found it okay on my TV. I think these people might be watching it on their computer or something. I'm not 100% sure, but there was a lot of people saying, like, quips, like, that was a great podcast because they couldn't see anything throughout the episode. It is shot very darkly, but I, I thought it was okay. Yeah, I had no issues watching it on my TV, but for this watch back for this episode, I did watch this episode on my iPad, and I did have to turn the brightness right up on it. About 10 minutes into it, I did that, so... I think it just depends, like you say, on the device. Big proper TV, probably okay. A smaller device, maybe not so much. Anyway, the, the guards have obviously been holding this over, the, the doctor, that we are keeping you alive by telling you what goes on. But now they don't know what's going on. And the doctor freaks out about this, basically, because he obviously wants to know what's happening next. The guards say, we don't know. He snaps. A little bit of synchronisation here again um, with the guy that snapped in the playground using a knife, getting hold of a scalpel, basically demanding that they find out what the next game is. A fight breaks out because the guard tries to be a little bit funny and says, I've got keys in my pocket, you need to give them to the guy over there. 
fight breaks out, stabs him to death, basically. More synchronisation with the way that 101 has killed people so far. Very visceral, very just on top of somebody. Stab, stab, stab. Again, I love synchronisation and a couple of the bits here are very linkable to other parts of the show. But this was, again, visceral, Colin. And can you bl- can you blame the doctor? He's under, he's under a lot of pressure here. No, I, I don't blame the doctor at all, mate. To be fair, he is taking part in this game, which is bad enough. But when he's not taking part in these games, he's getting dragged into these rooms and he's literally cutting up the bodies of the folks that he's, he's just managed to outlive and survive. He's not in a proper operating theatre. He's probably not got the right equipment. And the stuff's getting popped into poly bags and put underwater with deep sea divers and toast old Thaius Bidder. It's a horrible existence and he is only doing it because of this information that he's getting. And when he finds out, after he's removed the kidneys, mate, after he's done all the work, he then finds out they're not even able to tell him what the next game is. You are going to freak out. I don't blame him for that at all. What's John Ho up to at this point? John Ho um, and number 28 are making their way through the complex. Um, they're in another secret room where you see for the first time the scuba diving equipment and this kind of underwater tunnel that they're going to use. When they're climbing through this tunnel, it continues to raise some red flags. They, they pass a bomb on the wall. He's warned to stay away from it. It comes up in conversation that the whole place is rigged so that this tunnel can be used by the VIPs should they ever have to exit safely in an emergency. And the reason that it's rigged is they can blow the whole place up behind them, basically to cover their tracks. So I think we had a question in a previous episode about this tunnel and why it was there. That's why it's there, I think, and they're just using it because it suits them. I don't think it's it was built for them or anything like that for this side hustle they're involved in. They're just taking advantage of the escape route that's already there. Yeah, you mentioned that secret room. Another massive red flag was when they go to move the big filing cabinet thing that's got the, the, the pulley on it so that they can pull it back. And John Ho says, what are you doing? Yeah. Hammers have been like the big, like, well, you obviously know what we're doing. So lots of red flags there, and it does come back to sort of bite them in the arse. These tunnels, Colin, must have taken years and years to build. And I'm going to use the word clue here very loosely because uh, once John Ho gets into a certain room, it's not clues, it's actual written evidence of what's going on. But is this another clue that these tunnels must have taken a lot of money and time to build? So does it just show that these games have been going on for a long time? Is that a little bit of foreshadowing again that look at these tunnels and the setup, it's obviously been going a while? Or again, am I just getting too granular here? No, I don't think you are. Like you can listen. There's obviously a lot of money involved in this in these games, so they've got the money for the prizes in the first place. So you can throw together a squid game and get all the stuff you need for it. But in terms of making like underwater tunnels and the the kind of cove that they come out at where they die from and all that sort of stuff, that's not stuff that you, you just buy in IKEA. <laughs> that's like proper going to take a long time to get right. It's, if you think about Batman, it's like the Batcave and the under underground part to it, which it's far more impressive than the actual manner above it. Um, so yeah, I think it would have to have been there for a long time and it's a well-established escape route for these VIPs year after year. Yeah, John Ho, obviously, the police officer comes out on him a little bit here and he's digging a little bit too much and asks who the VIPs are. Doesn't get an answer. They reach this secret room with the nice... Everything's in such nice order here as well. Like the oxygen cylinders basically are all lined up, numbered, they want to keep an eye on things, basically. They reach this secret room, the other guard has sussed here that 
like this isn't the 28 that I know. This is definitely somebody different. He actually says your voice sounds different. He's got a knife to his throat. He says, shows your face, basically. So he takes his mask off. This guy has made the mistake of bringing a knife to a literal gunfight. So. <laughs> <laughs> but he obviously doesn't know that John Ho's got the gun, but he points the gun at his, either his crotch or his leg or whatever, and has the upper hand here. He does, um, and he orders the other guard to take off his mask as well, so that he can also see his face, as opposed to put them back in an even keel. Both with their masks off, he starts confronting them, and that's when he starts asking questions again about the zombie with the one kidney that they were talking about earlier. Um, he reveals that he had a brother who he gave a kidney to. The guard at this point reassures him that, listen, the zombie was not your brother. How could you be sure? Because the, the zombie was a woman. We all took turns raping her before we took the organs from her. One of the most shocking parts of the show, this is, man. Yeah. Like, it's really the nonchalance with which, with which he announces it. It's, it's almost like the fact that they were raping her isn't the important part. It's the fact that it's not your brother, mate. It was a woman because we were raping her. It's just so... It's it's just dropped in there in that conversation as a little bit of a set piece and it, it clearly means nothing to this guard that that's what they were doing. It's it's quite a shock. You're right, it's shocking. It really is. And like I say, it's just the way you mentioned it there. It's just really nonchalant as if, yeah, it's not your brother we raped her. Horrible, horrible people. So again, that makes us... Because these incidental characters, you can't really just murder them straight away. Because then you start to not like the people that are murdering them. But when a guy gives a reason like that, you're like, yeah, he deserves to die. And he does, basically. But before he gets murdered, he reveals that there are files, basically, in the front man's room containing information on all of the players. At this point, you think all of the players are the 456 but we'll get there in a minute. So John Ho's about to load his gun. Uh, the guy is begging for his life, basically saying, you can have all the money that I get from the organs. And then he just shoots him, basically. And because he's such a vile creature, you just don't care. And that, again, it's just decent story writing, basically. It is, and I think it also puts John Ho in a good place as well, because he's obviously disgusted with what he's heard so far. And I think the final act of this guy saying, listen, say, spare my life, spare my life, I'll give you the money from this horrible fucking operation that we're involved in here. John Hodge just thought, I'm done with you. Bang. Um, and he, he starts he starts climbing back up the tunnel, doesn't he? He does indeed, yeah. At this point, it cuts back to the doctor sort of running about. So it does. So what's happening here? So he's, he's kind of running through the staircase. He's not noticed throughout this show that it would be very, very easy to get lost on these staircases <laughs> because there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to the ones that go up, the ones that go down, or where they disappear from. The triangle guard that survived is chasing him, and eventually they end up in the huge playground from the honeycomb uh, trial. The guard tries to negotiate with the doctor, um, saying, listen, this is bad for both of us if we get caught here. Let's go back to the main room, and nobody has to find out about this. The doctor rightly says, how can I trust a scumbag like you? And you see something here, Jack, that you've kind of learned already in the show. It's never a good thing. It's when the triangle guard puts down his gun, but more importantly, takes off his mask. And if I've learned anything from the front man so far, once they've seen your face, it's all over. It really is, yeah. So he's about to basically stab the doctor, literally stab the doctor in the back. And again, the doctor just as a normal, in inverted commas, person, more willing to trust somebody that 
says, look, we're, we're both in this together, I'm not thinking that this guy's going to stab me in the back. Do you think his normalness basically leads him to fall for what might be the, the oldest trick in the scumbag book? Yeah, I think he did. I think it's the, it was the taking the mask off and showing that here's here's me being a human. I'm just like you, I look like you. But we can work together and we can fix this situation because at the minute we're both fucked, basically. And he's taking a chance on it and he's ended up literally and figuratively stabbed in the back. But before before he gets stabbed in the back, he gets shot in the head, basically, because the front man has managed to appear, um, followed by a group of the squares, the top potatoes, basically. Shoots him in the head <laughs> and that is him dead. The front man accuses the organ harvesters of tainting the game here and violating the most important aspect of this place, the principles of equality and fairness that guide it by giving one player secret information, basically, you, you've skewed the fairness of the games. He sort of departs in search of the other rule breakers, basically, uh, leaving the Doctor to be killed by one of the squares that followed him in. So they're, they're still killing the Doctor anyway. He's still just disposable. And this sort of, it's like moral ambiguity, Colin, and there's like a definite sort of cognitive dissonance, I think you would call it, for the whole thing, basically. He's saying everyone is given a chance to play a fair game except for the fact that people aren't. Just because the rules are fair in his eyes, he then thinks that everybody's given the same chance. But there's old men, there's ladies, there's such a range of people, and he just seems to think that, oh, the rules are fair, therefore the games are fair, when they're clearly not. But it is very much, and I like this, it very much is in line with the way that people actually do think in real life, I think. There's a real, um, there's a kind of... A morality complex coming from the front guy here in that he's so disgusted that somebody would do this to his games because his games are so honest and his games are such a fair representation of a tournament where only one man can win and it's a fair level playing field. But for all the reasons you've just said, it's not. Right from the very start, green light, red light isn't fair because they don't know the rules of the game before they start it. They all start walking, they stop and they they realise people are getting shot when it starts happening. In terms of the honeycomb game, some poor people end up with an umbrella they're trying to do, whereas other people get far easier shapes. There's a tug of war round, Jack, where you're at a massive advantage if you're a big, muscly guy. So the idea of all these trials and games being fair is absolute nonsense because they're far from fair. Fair would be a, a something that's designed that it doesn't matter your physical ability or anything like that. Everybody's got an equal chance, almost a lottery per se, and this isn't the, this is not it. Well, that is it. The front man and his buddies decide to... Um, no, they actually find the body of the, the dead triangle, um, 28, I think, here. Is there a hint here that the front man might be a police officer, a former police officer, as well as his bro- his brother, basically, because he's pretty Sherlock Holmesy in the way that he sort of looks and goes, no, there's the right amount of this, and then obviously he uses his knife to take out the, the bullet from the guy's head. You wouldn't do that unless you'd some sort of training no yeah there could be something that i hadn't thought of that but in terms of him knowing right away that one of the things was not missing that's there so he's still on the he's still on the island he's in the complex somewhere checking the bullet it does all work the only thing that maybe doesn't go with it is the fact that when john ho goes to look for him he's staying in this little shitty room um and he's not paying his rent because he's got no money and stuff like that so he's probably if he was a police officer he certainly isn't now but he potentially could have been yeah it's showing some of those characteristics. 
he's a former winner, right? Oh, we're going to get there, right? So many questions, right? <laughs> I don't know why it bothers me so much here, but um, John Ho doesn't put his mask back on, like when he goes back up. So he's basically running about the place. Like he must realise that it's really fucking highly secure in there, so he can't blend in anymore. Is there a clear reason why he does this? Do you think it's just for the storytelling and acting so that you can see somebody's face? That is better than just watching somebody run about with a mask. Because surely you'd want to put the mask back on so you could at least slip about a little bit unnoticed he's running about without one on. You'd spy him a mile away, no? Possibly, but for me, I thought the mask not going back on was his, his kind of understanding that he was no longer playing the part of 29 anymore. He wasn't trying to blend in. He was now very much on a kind of almost suicide mission to find these files, find whatever he can do, and hopefully rescue his brother. And that's and he was in the right place to start doing that now. He wouldn't be going back into the life of a guard and fulfilling those jobs anymore. He couldn't do it with that mask because they know that 29's missing. He knows they know that 29's been involved in the whole harvest and stuff. As soon as he puts that mask on that's scanned, then he's, he's caught anyway. Yeah, that probably makes more sense. The, like I said, the front man examines the bullet and decides to set off this massive alarm, basically, and that wakes up everybody in the complex. That's the last thing you want to hear when you're one when you're trying to get to sleep, which I don't really get how people can be sleeping. People that don't know us, which a lot of people don't, we don't sleep particularly well. Like I'm not a great sleeper, I'm about three, four hours a night, and I couldn't imagine getting to sleep with that paranoia. Um, but the alarm goes off and everybody's sort of woken up, basically. Shit scary. <laughs> yeah, it's like w- waking up in that place at any time would be horrific, but waking up to that noise going off and everybody panicking and wondering what's going on, wondering if there's a new game about to start and everything that comes with it would be absolutely horrendous. And it's not just the players that are woke up, it's the guards as well, remember? All the rest of the guards are in their beds as well, Jack, and they're suddenly waking up to wondering what the hell's going on, so it's, it's just not a good time for anybody. Yeah, I think one of the the gangster with the shot of long hair, I'm saying the gangster, I don't know if he's a gangster, the, the, one of the baddies says to uh, Juxu as well, we, we don't know where the doctor is. So the doctor's not back yet, so there's a lot of panic, you know, and there's a lot of confused thinking basically amongst the players and probably the guards as well but John Ho's ripping about uh, what's he doing at the moment? So he is up in the the front rooms uh, the front man's sort of living chambers where he kicks about which is probably my favourite place in the show because I think it looks really cool it's really futuristic looking I like all the kind of the stuff on the walls and stuff it's just great but he's kicking about up there and he finds a room full of basically folders and he starts looking through um, a bit of a debate, Jack, between whether it goes as far back as either 1988 or 1998 in terms of these files. There's a bit of debate on the internet even as well. People can't seem to decide on it. Well, I don't know if it's a, a debate on the internet or if I just got it wrong when I wrote down. I'm pretty sure that the oldest year that i seen was 1988, which would mean that the games have been going on for at least 35 years. The common consensus seems to be 1998 online, so... Get in contact on Twitter, at Player456Pod, if you know for sure uh, what year it goes back to. I think it's 1988, but some think it's 1998. Anyway, kind of inconsequential, to be perfectly honest with you. The games have been going on a long time. Right, did you notice this? This was brought up online. I didn't notice it, that when John Hole first opens the book, there's a consensus that there's no Player 001. It starts at 002. Yeah, I didn't notice that either. Um, I, I noticed it when we started prepping for this. That was my first awareness of that. That completely passed me by. Maybe he just skipped the front page. 
maybe the front page is usually rubbish, so it's, it could be. But you you mentioned there, sorry, Colin, the the front man's office. Did you notice that he's got an iMac, an Apple product? Yeah, an Apple product, and the side of a key kind of study. Yeah, he's got an iMac sat there. Um, I don't why know why you're strange? bringing that up. Yeah, because I mean it's different now because people are financing things themselves, but when a lot of the stuff you see in films and TV shows is actually supplied by the companies because they want to see it on screen. So when you see somebody using an Apple MacBook or something like that, Apple tend to donate these things to the movies to have their stuff on display. It's like a big free advert for them. Apple famously, though, don't allow their products to be used by the bad guys in the films. So you'll, you'll never see the Joker using an iPhone, but you would see Batman using one, for an example. It's just something that you know Apple are like, and it's something they're very particular about. So the fact that the frontman's got one means that he's secretly a good guy, Jack, or it means that Netflix just paid for that by IMAX themselves. <laughs> it's one of the two, but it's a great, great spot. So could also pull that one out. Yeah, in the main room back there, the guards walk in, guns in hand, ordering the players to get up and gather in the middle. They all obey, apart from player one. He's lying in his bed, looking a little bit feverish and unwell again. Guard approaches him. Jihan shouts out, listen, leave him alone, he's sick. He just gets ignored, basically, and the guard pulls off the blanket, revealing that he has wet himself, basically, player one. Again, is this real sickness, do we think? He certainly had a fever earlier on, Jack. Whether he's making it last longer than it needs to, I I don't know. Um, But he's wet himself, mate. I I don't know. That's pretty horrific to do that, especially around people that are going to see you doing it. It's... It's very good method acting if he is going to go as far as actually waiting himself for his for his acting gig. I feel really sad here for him. It's tragic. It's the, if, if you're watching this and this is just an old man who you don't know anything about yet because you don't know any twists or anything, you feel awful because he's not well, he's pissed himself and he's sitting there shaking and shivering and he's getting ordered to get up by these guards with guns in his face now. It's If you don't know what's going on, it's awful. Now, the last scene basically here raises a thousand questions because a farewell ends with John Ho finding a small gift box in the archive containing a list of all the previous winners basically here and his brother is listed as the 2015 victor so he goes to the 2015 binder and inside finds his brother's file did you notice that the winners were the winners of round six all of them? Yes. So this mm. this 2015 list was the winners of round six. So there's been five rounds before that. And do they count rounds in different countries again? This is what we're, I'm sort of trying to get at here. Mm, like, yeah. this is round six. How many rounds are there? This is, a, again, just a real indicator that there's tons of squid games going on, basically, if this is round six. If the VIPs are travelling from South Korea to X to Y, to Z round one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We don't know how far that goes, but in Ho, his brother basically was the winner in 2015. This raises more questions, Colin, so it does. It really does. His timeline is the most confusing in the whole show, in my eyes. I just don't know where he's been, what he's been up to, anything like that. And I suppose they'll take a deep dive into that in season two, perhaps. But lots of questions here. What questions are you asking yourself at this point? Because it it kind of hits you like a ton of bricks. So, yeah, well, I mentioned earlier that he's searching for a brother that was living in a shitty apartment 
unable to pay his rent. If he'd won this game a couple of years ago, what's happened to all the money? Where's it all gone? Yeah. Why is he missing? Um, why is he not been able to build a life for himself, which you would expect a winner of this to be able to do? It's kind of why they're all there. They're all there to change their lives and transform them for the better. But the looks of things from the outside looking in, this guy hasn't because he's suddenly gone missing. His family don't know where he is and he wasn't in a good place before he went missing. It's it is bizarre, and you think you would you think you've just got your own frame of mind that in this current one, there's forty six billion currency sitting there waiting for you if you want it. If this happened to this guy's brother, where is he, and how did they hide that money from his brother, a policeman? Yeah, so this has literally just popped into my head. So this is like a live theory, basically for the front man. This is the first time he's disappeared. We can, we can pick that up because the or is it because the way that. John Ho spoke to his mother in the car as a uh, we'll find him. No, this is def- this is the first time he's disappeared in real life, right? He must have disappeared to go and play part of the games. But that may have only been a couple of days. If yeah. these games are like maybe if there's five games, it's five days. You can disappear in inverted commas for five days. But anyway, we think that this is the first time that the front man has went missing. So he's living in a dingy apartment. He's not paying his rent, so he's got no money left. Has he then? As a former winner, who you'd imagine to be keeping tracks on, being invited back to host the games, as a certain host for certain places, like they've realised he's fucked now again. He's went back to his old ways. He's skint. He's a former winner. Let's see if he'll come back and take payment and run these games. I mean, that makes sense. But at the same time, it doesn't make sense because right. the money that's involved in these games and these VIPs that are that they're trying to make them good for, would you pick some degenerate back off the street that came through the games, managed to fuck all the money away and bring him back and just give them all this responsibility? It, it's just question, question, question at this point. It's You're right, this isn't a really interesting timeline for this guy because we still don't know the full story of what he's been or where he's at or how he got to that position. I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with him in season two. We'll move on, Colin, to the listeners part of the show with some questions, queries, and theories. Questions, queries, theories. Hi, four, five, sixers. Just before we get to your part of the show, we would like to let you know that we also do a show called Wrong Term Memory, where we cover some true crime some 90s pop culture, a little bit of history, some science, a whole range of things, really. Yeah, so if you enjoy listening to us, and not just listening to us talking about Squid Game, then just search in your podcast app of choice for Wrong Term Memory, or visit our website at wrongtermmemory.com. If you don't fancy doing that, you can offer your support for Player 456 by leaving a review or rating. Now, on with the show. Dominic has been in contact on email, Colin. Just a quick link to say what a great job you two are doing. Thank you very much dissecting the episodes. Every edition of your podcast is anticipated eagerly. I was really into Money Heist on Netflix, which is something that I haven't watched and didn't give Squid Game a second glance, but once I'd finished watching that, I thought I'd watch the first episode to see what all the fuss was about and really glad I did. And it's subtitles all the way for me, never the English dubbing. And now for a few theories. Cool. Uh, we'll take one of these each because he sent in three. I think he's actually sent in six, but we'll get to some of them later on in another episode. You touch the numbers quite a lot. Yes, we do. But on the matter of 187, 
So 87 is an unlucky number in Australia. I never knew this because it's 13 off of 100. Right. So could 187, I suppose that was the amount of survivors, also be unlucky given that it's 13 off of 200? I love this. Send in more stuff like this because I'm going to say yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I blame you for this. You've, you've got Dom googling numbers and finding things about them. No, but if I didn't know that about Australia, that 87 is unlucky because it's 13 off of 100. No, I didn't know that either. It's, 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 it's weird. Um, maybe it's because 87 is like, the 13 is down under from 100. <laughs> oh dear. Don't alienate our Australian listeners. We've got quite a few there, I think, Colin. Yeah, we're quite a big deal in Australia. Um, his second point, people have been speculating whether Il Nam is Jihun's father. But what about if he wasn't his dad, but actually his grandfather instead? I don't know how old either man is, or how old they're supposed to be in the series, but it could throw an interesting twist into the mix. I think it's sort of shown at some point that he doesn't know his father. Yeah, that's 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 mentioned early on. Yeah, there's no mention of the grandfather. So, I suppose if you don't know your father, and if it's your father's father, but grandparents usually have a sort of quite an important role in your life to a certain age, anyway, as a child. You know, you spend a lot of time with your grandparents and stuff like that. So. I don't know if there's much. I don't even know if there's much to him being his father, either. You know, I would I would take a guess that he would be early eighties. I think the actor's actually about eighty three, so I'd say he was about that age. And Jihoon's maybe late thirties, so it could be his grandfather, like technically. Yeah. And he would have to be quite an old father as well, I suppose. Yeah. So there might be something there. Yeah. Numbers again, man, for his third point. So thank you very much. Interesting that Doc Sue's number is 101, surely more than a nod to room 101, which I never thought about before. That refers to a torture chamber. See, I never knew it was a torture chamber in 1984, the novel, um, given uh, 101's particular makeup. Yeah, I don't think that's a, don't think that's a bad call. I never realised, I always thought room 101 was a room <laughs> because of the show in Britain that you put things in that you didn't want. <laughs> but, if it's a torture chamber, then yeah, that would that would make sense as a nod to that. It's a torture chamber where your greatest fears and greatest annoyance is brought to you and presented to you, and that's where the torture comes into it. Okay. So the idea of the show is getting rid of the things that you find torturous. Okay. Now we've got one from Alistair on Twitter just to wrap today's, this week's show up, Colin. Yeah, so Alistair on Twitter, um, do you think the intention was to always have only one winner? The number of winners was never mentioned by the folks who run the Squid Game. How many players would have come back if they thought there was only going to be one winner? Definitely not 187 out of 201. Yes, Alistair, I totally agree. One of the, for the games that's so fair and everybody's got an equal chance, etc., the fact that these poor bastards don't even know that only one of them can win <laughs> is a definite example of these games not being fair. And I think you're spot on. We saw husbands and wives coming back together. Would that be the case if they knew the truth that it would only be one person? I don't think so, Jack, mate. What about you? No, I think we have discussed this on previous episodes. There's no way that the players know that there's only going to be one winner. And to be fair, seeing this episode, this is the first time us as an audience know that there's only going to be one winner. Because let's be honest, on first watch, if I remember right, I'm still thinking there might be a few survivors here until now, until this episode where you see one winner for each squid game. Yeah, the players don't know. And they've definitely not made it clear and yeah, 187 people would not have went back. How many do you think would have went back? 
if they knew that there was only going to be one winner, that you think the gangster would have went back? Yeah, I, I still think a high number would have went back. I just don't think it would have been as big as 187 out of 200. I think you would still have got, I think you'd have got 115 people went back. Yeah, I was going to maybe go about 60 or 70. Anyway, keep those questions coming in on Twitter at player456pod or on email player456pod at gmail.com. We love these interactions at what drives us, basically, to do these shows. So keep them coming, guys. They're really interesting, especially the numbers for me anyway. (laughs) 